Before we get started, let's talk about what's new at Cold Wax Academy. Rebecca and Jerry have just launched their fall quarter of live online sessions with a special focus this time on member participation, plus informative sessions on a variety of other topics. This month also marks the beginning of Cold Wax Academy's third year of teaching sessions, meaning that the member library now has over 80 recordings and other instructional documents available for members. To access this wealth of information and to take part in upcoming live sessions, please visit the membership page at coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for one of the two levels of membership available. That's coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about artists as collectors. We often think of art collectors as people who love art but don't create it themselves, meaning that the work they purchase may seem to them to come from a somewhat mysterious creative realm. Yet, artists are very often collectors themselves, and have a very different kind of appreciation for the work they acquire due to their deep understanding of what is involved in creating art. And while artists enjoy the good feelings that go along with selling their own work, many also love the feelings of owning the work of others. Today, we look at some of the reason artists collect art and how they view their collections. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So when I look around our house here, um, there are a lot of pieces by other artists that um, we've acquired over the years. And, you know, while I also have my own work hanging, it really is a pleasure to have other people's work in our world here. Um, and, you know, just a little bit to describe um, my own collection here that we have um so there's a there's a range of things. There's a few things that I've bought at art galleries or studio sales, and that includes uh, both the work of friends and also yeah people that were unknown to me, but I just was moved to buy the work. Um, a lot of pieces by friends, art friends. Some were traded for. Most uh, purchased though, and. Um, a few actually inherited from my uncle linoleum cuts that he did that are beautiful. So uh, in the family and also some some family portraits that are quite old. But as far as uh, the current contemporary work, um, it's a, it's both people I know and people that I don't know. Um, sometimes there's a story or a background to the work that I know of. Uh, sometimes not, and sometimes a lot of times it's just that whatever I. I uh, acquired spoke to me and it oftentimes spoke to something in my own experience that I sort of read into the work. And um, I think that's one of the re one of the ways that everybody connects with, with artwork is it, you know, it, it resonates with them in some way, something in their own life. Um, in terms of the style of the work, it is mostly abstract, but there's also some representational work. Um, and I would say a lot of artists collect pieces um, that aren't that much like what they do themselves. Um, and that kind of enforces the idea that sometimes comes up when we talk about influences from other artists. We talk about the fact that as artists, we often admire and are drawn to things in other people's work 
that is not at all what we do and not then is not what we uh, consider right for our own work but that doesn't mean our taste is that limited um i have one artist friend whose work is is really pure abstraction but whose collection includes a lot of figurative work which kind of surprised me a lot of uh faces and uh groups of figures and so on um in terms of my own collection it's mostly two-dimensional work like paintings, prints, uh, some photos. But we also have some three-dimensional pieces, um, sculpture uh, that we bought from a, f a friend here in New Mexico and some ceramic pieces also from a friend, also a stained glass piece uh, from an old friend of mine. So, um, and, and there's, there's one painting I have to mention that um, I really probably would not have chosen for myself. But I won it um, in a raffle a few years ago um, that was in support of an of arts foundation that I that I um, am involved in. And it's really grown on me over the years. And, and now I appreciate it much more than I did at first. I think you know the, the piece, Ross, that hung in our kitchen in New Mexico, in, uh, sorry, in Wisconsin. And it yes, was it's yeah, absolutely. a bit of an anomaly, you know, but I just, I would sit there and look at it. And, and over time, I started to you know, just notice, it's just this, like bold shapes and notice the relationships between the shapes and the colors and just, you know, sometimes uh, it's interesting how a work of art can grow on you. And that and that one did. Um, yeah, it's very minimalist. Very minimalist, very bright color. Um, so uh, some other thoughts about my own art collection. Uh, many of them do have personal meaning and stories. Um, as I said, either they remind me of something in my own life, or um, it's something about the person who made the work. Um, and I think when the work is by a friend, it's interesting because living with that work and um, having it in the house, it, it sort of feels like they're more that person is more present in your world. You see their work all the time. And it also, to me, it gives a little bit of insight into them as a person, um, their aesthetics. And it's it's something that's a little hard to put words to, but there is a presence of that person then uh, kind of on a daily basis. And I, I'm i sure that's why, it, I mean, that touches at least on why people do like to buy art from people that they know and their friends, because, yeah, it just, <laughs> it makes them present. Um, and I also find that living with the work of other artists um, in my house is meaningful to me as an artist. Um, and then just strictly speaking about the work itself, not the story or the person behind it, but I feel like it stretches my own vision and sometimes my own work um, because I'm studying the, you know, like not that consciously, but all the time studying the visual language of what I'm work looking at. So if I'm staring at something on the wall, there's something happening in my own brain where I'm saying, it's interesting, you know, like, yeah, the minimalism of this piece interests me. The color relationships interest me. Um, the, the density, I mean, I have um, some of the work that is very dense uh, in terms of it's just packed with image. And and that intrigues me um, also. And um, so it kind of, they, they sort of teach me on some level, you know, because, because they are in 
my house. I look at them all the time. Um, and I, I think about, you know, the quality of the piece, the aesthetic quality of the piece. Uh, there's some kind of, uh, I guess I would say kind of funky work that we have here that, you know, kind of makes me feel like, hey, you can be free to be yourself, you know. Uh, there are some very autobiographical pieces that I have that give that same message. Um, and as, you know, we, we have mentioned this so many times in the podcast, but that idea of the personal being the universal, um, I see that in the work that is here in the house. And so it's giving me this uh, ideas and, you know, insights that I think are, are really exciting to have. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about collecting work as an artist um, is that there is this thrill of acquiring a work of art <laughs> that is unique. And, you know, as a person who sells their work, and as many of the listeners to the podcast know this, if they sell their work, you know, that feels great. You know, there's like, it's so, it's validating. It's really good to, to know that your piece is going into a place where it will be viewed. But when you're on the other side of that experience from selling it, now you you see that piece of work that you feel immediate attraction to. You feel excited by it, um, involved with it, and 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 you you know I I get this sort of feeling like in my gut like I want that you know, and and to know that whoever's buying my work that's what they're feeling, you know, and it's sort of somehow completes a sort of cycle to know both sides of that and understand. Um, and I, you know, I was really noticing it uh, uh, two weekends ago when the studio sale was happening here. And the fact that I could observe people, I don't normally sell my work directly, but people were coming in and I could see them you know, gravitating to something. There was one woman who came in, gravitated immediately to a piece, asked me the price, and spent a little time walking around the rest of the studio, but just honed in on that one, came back to it, and uh, ended up buying it. And, you know, I could see that happening, and it's, um, it's, it's exciting, you know, to see, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. I've had that feeling myself when I've bought work. Um, so in terms of, you know, adding to this collection here, um, our house here in New Mexico is, you know, a bit smaller than it was in Wisconsin. So there's a there's a limitation uh, to somewhat smaller pieces, but uh, it's still it's still an ongoing project. And I think both Don and myself are interested in uh, three dimensional work, in particular, maybe some more outside pieces, and. Um, you know, I think that uh, buying work as a couple is is kind of special also because um, Don and I have, have chosen several pieces together. And I think anybody who buys art along with a partner can appreciate that feeling. It's sort of like, yes, we both respond to this. This is something we're relating about <laughs> to each other, to the work of art. And it's it is special to have those pieces where you both really wanted something. Um, so um, the other thing I want to say is sometimes, you know, I do buy directly. I, you know, buy on studio tours. I buy 
from the artist. Sometimes I trade with an artist friend. Um, but buying a friend's art from their gallery, um, which many artists will do, go to a gallery and buy the work of a friend, um, even though the artist gains less profit from that sale, uh, or you know, compared to if they sold it directly, um, it enhances their situation in the gallery. And I feel like that's a good thing to do. Um, and I always appreciate it when I know that a friend has bought something of mine from the gallery because it, it's just sort of win-win all around. Um, so those are just some of the kind of thoughts about what, what I have in my own home. And I, I did want to expand the conversation um, to see what other artists think about all this and, and how they view collecting and what their collections are like. So I, um, I put up a, you know, little note on Facebook and asked for responses and got quite a few, um, uh, artists responding with, with lots of excitement and, um, just, you could just feel the appreciation for the work that they collect coming through. So, um, I'll get into some of those comments. Uh, let's take a minute to talk about uh, what deals are available from Blick. Uh, right now, the uh, the Williamsburg handmade oil paints are 30% off. Uh, Rebecca, I believe you like these paints, right? Yes, I do. They're really good paints. So those are 30% off. And if you want to take advantage of that offer, uh, please remember to use our affiliate link, which is MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. That'll tra- take you straight through to the regular Blick website. It looks the same. It functions the same. But when you go through MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, Blick will donate 10% of your purchase to the Messy Studio Podcast. This is a really, really important way for you to fund the podcast. It costs you nothing. And if every one of you does this, then it's tremendous and we will all of our bills will be paid. We'll be able to just do, be full-time podcasters. I don't really expect that, but if even just a small <laughs> number of you do this, uh, it makes a really huge difference in in the amount of content that we are able to produce because this this content costs money for us to produce. So, uh, if you want to get a hold of your high quality art supplies and uh, uh, fund the podcast, go to messystudiopodcast.com slash blick. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay, so before the break, I mentioned um, that I put up this, this sort of a little survey on Facebook to and and got some interesting responses. So a couple things I noticed that most of the artists who answered um, and told me about their collections collect mainly the work of friends of art friends through either through purchase or trade. And I think that's that's really not at all surprising um, because as artists, we know lots of artists and we know what they do. And um, we just have more exposure to what's you know happening than, say, the general public. But I also think that um, the exchanges that artists make with each other and trade, trading work for work, um, that's, that's a big thing. And it is something that is uniquely available among artists. I mean, we, we trade our work and we know people whose work we like and we, we often try to set up an exchange. Um, so a lot of the people that responded talked about trades they've made over the years. And it's really a time-honored practice among artists. I would say it can be a little tricky to negotiate that. Um, if you're 
each of you making the trade has to truly want the other artist's work and also along with that to not be overly concerned with making sure that it's an exact monetary exchange um, in terms of value. So I have a painting that's worth $800. You have a painting that would sell for $1,000. Yes, we can still trade if we both want to. <laughs> you know, It also means, though, that it, it means giving up that potential income. So in effect, you are buying the work. Um, it's just that money isn't exchanged. Um, and oftentimes this this tends to happen with older work or it tends to happen with smaller work because to trade large work, is, yeah, it's a pretty big commitment. Um, and it can be a little tricky, like I said, just kind of feeling out where the other person is at with this. You don't want to put them on the spot and say, hey, I'd really like to trade if you don't know for sure that they really like your work or something, you know, I mean, it, it can be a little awkward um, to kind of read the situation. And, you know, I think you can make a sort of overture and see if it if it flies, you know. Um, but all that said, it is something that goes on all the time. And it's a way that a lot of artists build really, really nice collections of work. Um, well, and, and I'm not a lawyer or an accountant, so please don't take anything I say as legal advice. Um, but I believe that it's uh, it's much better for your tax implications to do trades rather than oh, sales. Oh, I, I would think that would be true. Yeah, I mean, um, you don't you don't record a sale. Um, there's no money right. exchanged, and it's basically I'm gifting you this painting, you're gifting me this painting. <laughs> you know, and I no, I would think that I, yeah, I, don't... I think that barter is kind of a, a gray area economically uh so like i say uh this is not financial advice this is not legal advice but i believe that if you if you do engage in barters and trades that it is better for your taxes i i'm guessing you're right and yes please don't hold us to this <laughs> but uh i i think that's probably how most people operate at least i don't think most people um you know note barters on their tax returns <laughs> um, uh, please talk to your your personal <laughs> uh financial advisor about uh how that should be handled on your taxes right um and um yeah it's uh it's such a it's such a positive thing i i think that's probably another positive aspect of it um so i'm going to mention a few people who uh commented on this topic and what they said um the artist Ginny Herzog, who lives in Minneapolis, uh, told me that she has over 100 pieces she's collected, mostly from friends, a few from galleries. And she does um, travel a lot with her work to various art fairs, has lots of connections with people around the country. And has I've been in her house, and she does have a beautiful collection. Um, and her process of it, she said she she tends to watch an artist for a while and just wait for one of those one of their pieces to really speak to her and i think that's a good practice that uh, if you if you're consciously collecting and it's not i mean a lot of people collect also as kind of impulse buying um especially at an art tour or something you'll see something okay i want it that feeling i talked about earlier but you can also you know as jenny does um bide your time see what's happening watch their work grow and when when you see the right one, you know, a move on it. Um, another artist, Ginny Cappert, 
mentioned that she has bought some of her collection from other artists in the galleries that also represent her, Ginny, um, which was interesting. It seems like a great way to support the galleries that support you is to look at the other artists there uh, within the gallery and, um, and buy some of that work. So um, I appreciated that idea, that comment. And uh, Ginny herself runs a gallery in Door County, Wisconsin. So she sees all sides of this situation. Um, so Helen Danley, a Chicago artist, mentioned that she owns a lot of small work from other artists. And she commented, their work tends to be different than mine, but um, there's no similar theme to the work I collect. So it sounds like a eclectic collection of things that she just loves um, and and. She mentioned the scale of it being small, and I think that is that is a doorway to collecting more pieces because typically you have room for more small pieces. They can sit here or there and in some little niche, or it also usually means that they're less expensive and easier to acquire. So, and you can have a range of things that way. Um, and so Magdalena Groszek is an artist who is currently um, developing an artist residency and workshop program in a medieval village in France. And it's a beautiful, beautiful location and, and buildings. And she spoke about her collection of art acquired over the years and her comments. And she was just, I could just feel the love of her, of this work coming through in her comments, the excitement about it. Um, she describes it as uh, eclectic, as a range of things, mostly from friends. Um, she said everything is personal and has a story to it. She did say, I don't just buy from friends, but often the artist might become a friend if I love their work. <laughs> so uh, a real supporter of the arts and um, surrounding herself in this uh, new location with um, all kinds of work. Uh, I also heard from Diane Williams and her husband, Chuck Potter. They live in, in uh, California, in the Bay Area. And they have um, a pretty large collection of art that they choose for specific reasons. And so I asked Diane to describe that uh, for me. And she said, we generally collect regional art from the San Francisco area artists. We often know the artists. We look for artists that have shown dedication to their work and by that, she means they have a good track record of showing their work and involvement in the community. So that's an interesting criteria. You know, she wants to see, they want to see this uh, kind of professional level in the work. And then she said, of course, there are exceptions. If we love the piece and can afford it, we may buy it. So they have some guidelines, uh, collecting regionally, collecting from people they follow and, um, you know, believe have achieved a certain level. But she's also saying, hey, if we love it, you know, we may go for it. So um, I think that open-ended uh, attitude is really nice. Um, another artist, Cindy Stapper, who lives here in New Mexico, she talked about trading some pieces with friends of hers. And she said, this is a quote from Cindy, there's such a ri rich interwovenness that is reflected by sharing with another art friend. And for Cindy, the sharing is uh, an uh, expands into friendship with, with several of the people whose work she owns and um, sharing, you know, time together, sharing recipes, sharing other things. Um, I also heard from um, Allison B. Cook, a friend of mine, 
And she said, uh, most of the artwork I have from other artists is up around our house. I do have a few pieces that are tucked away. So that's, that's what happened when you get, you know, really a lot. Sometimes you can't display it all. And she says, uh, the collection is wide ranging and includes paintings, drawings, prints, sculpture, and one artist's book. And then she said, these beloved works come from both family and friends. The pieces gifted and traded with fellow artist friends all have wonderful stories and memories attached to them. So that's that kind of uh, covers what I heard back from other artists about their own collections. And I, I just find it pretty heartwarming that... Um, that artists have this sort of generosity of spirit oftentimes with other artists wanting to acquire their work, wanting to live with that work, um, learning from it and uh, interacting with it. So do you um, have any suggestions for people who you mentioned that, um, you know, there's uh, times when you're trying to kind of like feel out, you know, is this person open to a trade? Um, are, are there times uh, maybe not in your specific experience, or but do you have a recommendation for uh, how it should be handled if somebody approaches you about a trade and you like the artist, you like the work, um, but they just don't really have anything that you're interested in, at least not at the, at the moment? Mm-hmm. Is, is there a good way to handle that? Because that <laughs> seems like it could be an awkward situation. Uh, it is a little awkward. I think, I think that um, the best thing is to... I don't know, smile, nod, but not follow up on it because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds kind of weird. But I mean, typically people will sort of float a balloon and say, oh, sometime maybe we should trade work. And you go, mm-hmm, you know. <laughs> and, then you're, and then I think if anyone got more persistent about it, um, I guess you would just say something like, well, I don't feel like it's the right time right now, or, you know, I'm not quite ready to do that, or something. It is hard to just really shut somebody down. Um, that That is awkward, because you're saying, mm, you don't quite meet my standards, or I don't quite like what you do enough, or something. But I think most artists are sensitive enough to the situation that they're not going to be pushy. I mean, there is this... I mean, I've noticed over the years this sort of trial balloon that goes out and and either it's taken up or it isn't, and then you just go on. And, and maybe then at some point in the future, it is something that you want to do. Um, you know, I, I don't close my mind to such things. Uh, and I, I recently had a somewhat awkward encounter with someone that I had said he wanted to buy a painting of mine. I told him the price, and I could tell he sort of thought it was a little bit high. Then he had something that I wanted, and I approached him, let's make a trade then. And he just didn't really want to do it. I think he didn't think what he had was as valuable. And he just, he seemed embarrassed, and then we had to just drop it. And I, I felt like, well, should I have not offered that? Or, you know, I... I ended up feeling a little squeamish about it, but I, I do think it's okay to offer. And if somebody doesn't respond, uh, you know, in a positive way, and he just sort of, I don't know what, changed the subject, shuffled his feet a bit, whatever. Right, it right. was in person. Um, and I could understand what he was saying. Um, it, would, it, was, it was while I was in Portugal, and it would have involved shipping it from Portugal. 
So I and I was sort of considering that part of the trade, but then I realized, well, for him to ship his thing to the U.S. from Portugal would be another big step, and maybe he just didn't want to deal with that. I think it's also worth mentioning that there can be some kind of unconventional trades that that take place. Yeah. Uh, I I I think that we I'm not sure if we mentioned it on the podcast before. I think we did uh, when you were doing your studio sale back in Wisconsin. Yeah, and uh, and there was that that man who traded you fish for yes. a painting. I'll never forget the man who traded me fish for a painting. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, that's another way that that you can. Um, you can place your work in other people's collections by offering, like you say, more unusual forms of barter, not just art for art, but um, something else that they might offer you and you're willing to barter. And that that's a really good thing because people have all kinds of skills out there. And I know of artists who have traded for all kinds of things. Uh, one of the pieces in our collection actually is from Jim Mott, who... Uh, Went, who did this project called the Itinerant Artist Project. And he traveled all over the country, um, staying with people uh, that he traded art, his paintings for a stay at their home for room and board. And he would paint something at their place um, of, you know, that was interesting to them. And so he came to our place in Wisconsin and um, painted some several things that, uh, you know, just in our yard. And it was also, I mean, it's a great story, but um, there was a, a, a little TV segment that featured Jim when he was at our house, and I end up being in that as well. So that I think it was, oh, I can't remember the name of it, it was one of those morning, Sunday morning, like, let's talk about an artist programs. <laughs> but but it was such a good story. And it, it all, and he told us then that he was bartering art for food um, on the road, like at restaurants even. And he told a story about getting um, a parking ticket or something in some little town and traded uh, a painting of the courthouse or something to pay his his fine. <laughs> so, I mean, you can I wonder be, if that painting is hanging up in the courthouse now. I, I think so. You know, I think, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's a very creative attitude. <laughs> well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Yeah, I think if you're an artist listening to this, um, and it probably makes you think about your own art collection and what it means to you, or if you haven't collected work from other people, um, maybe think about starting to do that in some way. And, and again, trading and bartering works really well. Um, it's, it's hard to imagine that most artists don't have at least a few works by other artists. I mean, it just kind of goes with the territory. Because, like I said, we know we interact with other artists all the time, and we're going to see things that we love, and we want them. <laughs> so um, I think it it's probably part of most people's lives. And I think just maybe reflecting a little bit on, you know, what do these pieces mean to you as an artist? Also, you know, paying attention to that feeling when you buy work or acquire work that excitement and realize people feel that about your work when they do that. So I think there's some, um, some interesting angles to this that, uh, you know, I, I brought, brought it out in me when I, when we chose the topic for the podcast, because I went around, took pictures of some of the things that we have here in the house and thought about them. And, you know, it's just a very rich thing. 
All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please go to MessyStudioPodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as Rebecca's public profile page. For more from Rebecca Kroll, check out RebeccaKroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at ColdWaxAcademy.com. Be sure to sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. For more from myself, Ross Tickner, check out RossTickner.com. The Messy Studio is a Tick Digital Media production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. Until then, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.